What's up, everybody? And welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 243. And today we're going to be talking about a very disturbing case out of New Jersey. We're going to be discussing the case of Tiffany Valente. And just a warning ahead of time, it's very upsetting and also very frustrating because the investigation in this case was absolutely dismal. I mean, just... Yeah, and what's difficult about it is Tiffany was struck by a train. Yeah. On July 12th, 2015. Mm And what's difficult about this is that when you're, you know, any sort of train accident that happens, the transit police come in Mm -hmm. and the transit police, you know, oftentimes look at things and they're like, okay, this was an accident or this person jumped in front of the train. But there's some evidence out there and theories put forward by the family and others that suggest that this was actually a homicide. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, the transit police, they're not going to have a ton of experience with solving homicides. So when this happened, they're for, you know, they just kind of went with this idea. And, you know, there's some statements made by train engineers, which we'll get into, that basically just led them to say, Tiffany, you know, threw herself in front of this train. And that's the end of, of the story there. But mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other details to this case that make you think twice about that original narrative. And... Yeah, like I said, it's very disturbing, very upsetting, just the nature yeah, of this case overall. So, fair warning. But it's definitely one I think needs to be talked about because at the very, mm-hmm. at the very least, I do believe Tiffany and her family deserve for this to be investigated properly and investigated by people who actually have the experience to, you know, look into a homicide investigation. At the, at the very least, so it's yeah, it's a very very difficult one, whichever way you look at it. But we'll go ahead and get into that episode here in a second. But before we do, one thing I wanted to mention, you're probably watching this on YouTube maybe or on Spotify and you might be noticing oh, yeah. things look a little bit different here Yep, at Mile Higher. And that's because we have made some major upgrades around here. Yeah, it looks really different from our point of view too. We have these giant lights now. They look like suns. They're huge. They're like probably the my whole Yeah, they've got like diffusers span. on them and stuff. And so hopefully our lighting looks a lot better look like dyson spheres yeah they they really do and hopefully the overall vibe is just much more on point with mile higher i feel like yeah for a while our sign was like blurring out (laughs) because none of us here before some of our our recent new hires really had any idea how to use cameras or lighting for that matter so we've been just kind of getting by for the last five years or so (laughs) youtube you know winging it and but now we are elevating things here at Mm -hmm. mile higher Mm -hmm. so hopefully things look better on your end but with that being said, make sure you're following us on Spotify. Spotify is the premier podcast platform, and mm-hmm. it really does help us out if you go over there and just hit that follow button for the show, whether or not you watch or listen on Spotify or not. It's very important that you're a fan of Mile Higher, that you're following us over there. Yeah, really does make a huge difference for us. So thank you to everyone who's already taken that step. And if you didn't know, you can actually watch the show on Spotify now. Yeah, it's really, really cool, cool, honestly. I, I like the video feature me too i actually like watching podcasts better on spotify than youtube and for us as the creators it's so much easier to work with spotify because we don't have all this Mm -hmm. bs we got to deal with with youtube and their you know filtering and and all this and that so yeah we actually just recently got age restricted we're showing the body of let's see the Iceman. so a lot of you probably missed that episode because it was hidden from your feeds yeah it performed significantly less than all of our other videos restricted for like a naked body Right. When it's this, I mean, a scientific discovery it's shown in museums and tons of educational content, but apparently it's not allowed for us. 
We even appealed it and got rejected. Gotta love it. Yep. So Spotify allows us to do pretty much whatever. Yeah, we love Spotify love here. So yeah. check it out. But this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Pretty Litter, Zip Recruiter, and Native. So with that being said, I think we just got to jump into this one. Yeah. And, and let's let's really start heavy. by talking about Tiffany, who she was, mm-hmm. and a little bit of her background. And before you do that, I just want to mention, I know Kendall kind of alluded to this, but we are discussing suicide in this um, episode. So if that is something that triggers you, just keep that in mind. Um, but that is one of the theories that we'll, we'll be discussing pretty heavily here. So Tiffany Ida May Valente was born March 3rd, 1997 to her parents, Diane and Stephen or Steve Valente. And she had two half sisters from her mother's previous marriage as well, Crystal and Jessica, who were both about 10 years older than her. She also had a dog, a golden retriever named Tucker. Now, Diane and Steve hadn't planned on getting pregnant, but she was a wonderful surprise for them. And when they first laid eyes on Tiffany, they fell in love. Tiffany grew up in Mays Landing, New Jersey, which is a semi-rural area about 30 minutes from Atlantic City, New Jersey. Mays Landing is a very small town. It had a population of just under 2,000 back in 2015 when this case took place. So growing up, Tiffany was always very athletic, very energetic, a happy person, and her favorite animal was always turtles. She loved the ocean. And when she was five or six years old, she started playing softball. Tiffany loved softball. And one day she dreamed of playing sports in college. Tiffany eventually started school at Oakcrest High in May's Landing. And during her high school year, she was pretty well liked and popular. But during her freshman year, Tiffany played volleyball for the first time. And that's all it took for her to fall absolutely in love with the sport. By sophomore year, she decided to give up softball so she could focus all of her attention on volleyball. And her dedication to the sport paid off. She joined both the East Coast Crush Club and Oakcrest High volleyball teams and became a star athlete. As a middle hitter standing at six foot two, she was a force to be reckoned with on the court. Tiffany had earned a full volleyball scholarship to Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York, where she would be attending that fall. She would be a middle starter, and being a starter was kind of unheard of for a freshman. She was also planning on studying criminal justice at Mercy, maybe even pursuing a career as a detective. Now, according to Tiffany's parents, she was a very happy girl who had a lot to look forward to. And she had friends and family who loved her, including her nieces and nephews, who she absolutely adored. She and her sisters also had a very close relationship. Here's a clip of Diane speaking more on this. She had she had the world so far ahead of her, you know what I mean? Just, just she grasped it and she was running with it, you know, just she loved life. And she wanted to do things in life. But things actually did get kind of rocky with her mom, Diane, in 2014. One of her teachers actually noticed something concerning. There was bruising on one of Tiffany's arms. Everyone knew she was an athlete, but this didn't look like a bruise that came from a sports injury. So the teacher actually reported her concerns. And after this, Child Protective Services paid three visits to the Valente home. Diane, Tiffany's mother, admitted that she did cause the bruising by punching Tiffany during an argument. A social worker recommended that the two go to counseling. Tiffany and her mother did go to their first counseling session on November 17, 2014. And Diane told the therapist that she'd been very short-tempered recently, but she blamed this on menopause. She, quote, acknowledged not being able to move on from the incidents due to her own anxiety. She also told the therapist that she would get, quote, independent support if needed. The therapist wrote that the two had trouble communicating, but they had a stable family relationship. The therapist also noted that Tiffany was calm and reserved, but Diane was emotional and anxious. 
The therapist also noted that there was a history of both anxiety and depression on her mother and father's sides. Diane had been on Zoloft in the past, and both of Tiffany's half-sisters had been medicated for anxiety in the past. Tiffany also told the therapist that she was not depressed or suicidal. This counseling session is the only one Tiffany and her mother actually attended, by all accounts. Tiffany did not see the therapist again, as far as we know, and CPS closed the case a month after. I do wonder if when Tiffany told the therapist she wasn't suicidal, if her mom was in the room with her, which even though... Technically, she wasn't an adult at that point. I personally think it's best practice to, especially on the first um, session of counseling, to at least have some time where each client is separate. So you would bring in the mom, have a discussion, then bring in the kid and have a discussion. Um, Because obviously, not obviously, but a lot of times, if your parent is in with you, you're not going to be as honest or as forthcoming with how things are actually going on in yeah, the Yeah, are you going to get the truth from Tiffany right. or is it better to separate and then likely get the actual truth? Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, well, you, it's hard to tell from one session what actually what actually happened there. So Yeah, it's a shame. So that- you're you're basically saying that you think it's possible she just said that to say it because her mom was in in the room with I her. I mean, maybe I'm, you know, kind of speculating here. I just wish we kind of had more information of how that session went. Obviously for HIPAA reasons, yeah, it's not like They're there's not a public like, release. Right, of exactly. That. Yeah. We're not really going to know, yeah. but it does just kind of make me wonder. And also, a lot of times, when you first go in, when you're doing the intake form, you you know let people know everything you say in here is confident confidential unless you talk about hurting yourself or someone else. So mm-hmm. she probably had that warning, which I think a lot of people will refrain from discussing their suicidal ideations if they have it. Mm-hmm. because of that they don't want to be reported obviously um i don't know just kind of a side thought no, that's a good point and it is kind of interesting that they only had one therapy session yeah and you would think that cps would want them to continue yeah. but it might be because two days after the counseling session tiffany's fa- grandfather died and obviously this was very hard on tiffany and she started to act out a little bit during this time which might signal that she was having a hard time emotionally she started smoking weed occasionally and skipping classes. However, her parents deny that she actually did skip class. She also drank with friends on occasion, underage. Also, before Christmas, Tiffany took some money out of her mother's bank account without telling her. Also, and this is important, six months before her death in early 2015, Tiffany actually came out as gay, and her mother, Diane, told her that she was just going through a phase. But she did say that she and her husband were accepting of Tiffany's sexuality. However, Tiffany was a teenager, and unfortunately, other teenagers aren't always nice about these sort of things. The family's attorney has stated that some of the girls at Tiffany's school wanted to experiment with her. He said this may have upset some girls and certain guys. Now, there's no direct evidence that we could find that she was directly bullied for her sexuality, but I doubt she was never given shit for it. I mean, being gay as a teenage girl has never historically been easy for anybody that's gay yeah just across the board i mean i know looking back at my school years i feel like it's maybe getting better but especially back in 2015 it was probably pretty rough but one of tiffany's friends noticed a change in her during those six months she said tiffany felt distant from her parents and lonely another friend said that tiffany was well liked and she put on a brave face but she never felt like she could fit in the friend said she was just sad about life in general Her best friend described Tiffany to investigators as being impulsive, 
stubborn, and having a hot temper. However, she said Tiffany never talked about suicide. But her best friend also told Tiffany's sister that in November, Tiffany had shown her where she intentionally cut her wrist. Another friend told investigators that in May, Tiffany had shown her where she'd intentionally cut her leg. The family has said that Tiffany never cut herself. They claim that they would have seen any cuts on her wrists and her volleyball coaches hadn't noticed anything like that. As for the cuts on her leg, again, Tiffany was wearing short shorts in the summer for volleyball, so they would have seen them. You'd be surprised at how easy it is to cover these wounds up, even wrist injuries. It was November, so she was likely wearing long sleeves, at least until the wound was healed. And there's still plenty of skin that even very short shorts will cover. The upper leg is chosen for a reason, as it's concealable, even in the summer. Which, just as a side note, we don't know for sure if she was cutting or not. This is just what her friend said. But one of these friends did say that Tiffany was depressed and untreated mental illness could have played a role in her death. But Steve and Diane do not think that this was the case. They told investigators that they thought these claims were not true. So she graduated that summer and she had a part-time job at the Wawa near her house. And she was looking forward to a busy summer full of beach days and graduation parties. So Tiffany was a very busy girl. In July, she'd been planning a trip to Six Flags with her friends and she had a dentist appointment scheduled to check on her wisdom teeth. Tiffany had also been spending a lot of time looking for a kitten. The kitten would be a surprise for her mother's birthday, which was later that month. In fact, Tiffany had finally found the kitten on the 11th, so this tells us that she had plans for the future. She was also looking forward to college, and she'd been messaging back and forth with her would-be roommate about dorm decor. However, according to some friends, she was nervous about going away to college. She was set to leave on August 18th. Tiffany had dated a girl from Philadelphia named Rachel. They'd actually broken up sometime in early July, and this breakup appears more messy than it was originally made out to be. Based on Tiffany's Tumblr blog post, they indicate that she was pretty sad after the breakup. One anonymous user had sent her an ask, which this was a thing to do back in the day on Tumblr, saying her girlfriend had cheated on her. So Tiffany's case was featured on the show Unsolved Mysteries, and in that episode, they ended up showing some text messages that some of them seemed very amicable, but there were also online posts that show the exact opposite. The show reveals that after Tiffany ran away, a contact in her phone named, quote, I ruined her 16th birthday, texted her. Her ex, Rachel, was 16 at the time, so this may have been her. But Tiffany had also just started talking to another girl she met online, and she seemed pretty happy about it. It appears that this was still pretty casual and they had probably just met on Tumblr in the days before her death. Just after midnight on July 11, 2015, Tiffany tweeted, quote, Dude, I probably shouldn't be, but I'm kind of content right now. Which I actually don't believe that this, te- like this tweet was actually saying you know, that she's okay. Like If she was okay, why would she say... I'm actually surprised, you know, kind of yeah. implying and I'm, 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 well, shouldn't be, but I actually mm-hmm. am doing okay right now. I'm kind of content yeah. right now that shows us she wasn't feeling content right. most of the time. Exactly. Like, Outwardly, what's going she's on? trying to mm-hmm. show a positive, you know, her in a positive place, but internally there's clearly turmoil yeah. going on. And I just wanted to say on another note that um, Unsolved Mysteries is a very interesting show. It's very well done visually and they do a good job of highlighting the family's feelings and the people involved when it comes to their thoughts on everything but it is notorious for missing tons of information we have covered several cases that they've also covered and we always find so much more that's left out and really gives you an incomplete picture 
of the case. Which, to be fair, I think part of that is they have like an episode runtime limit. That's true, but so, I still, I still think it's somewhat biased, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, which because a is, lot of it is like really important information. They squeeze other things in there that really aren't as relevant as some of the main. Like sometimes we have big picture stuff that's left out. Well, I think like with Joshua Guyman, uh, Guyman, Guyman, yeah, yeah, Guyman. <laughs> yes, sorry, yeah. that that last name always trips me up. But yeah, that one was missing so much information. Well, and I think I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think the the network or you yeah, know they have a Netflix. lot. You'd be surprised that Netflix, you know, who ends up buying these shows has a lot of say in mm -hmm. what the final content. They basically approve it before it goes on to Netflix. So obviously, the last thing that Netflix is going to want to do is stir up a bunch of of things that are going to end up being potential problems for them or have groups of people or businesses or things like that pissed off at them. And so they have to be sort of vague about some mm -hmm. of these details because like they in other episodes if you look at like ufo stuff or something that doesn't involve a death per se they do go a lot more into detail mm -hmm. and, and give different theories and things like that but i think it's yeah. just sometimes when when the cases are so sensitive and the the information they're leaving out if they were to put that in i think would just be you know almost a liability for which, yeah. which I don't think is I right. That. I don't think that they. I don't think they should care about that. They should present all the information that's mm -hmm. out there. But I'm just kind of. It's just it's frustrating for, as a true crime consumer because if you were to just watch the episode on Tiffany on Netflix, totally. you would have a completely skewed idea of what happened here or what. Well, you're only getting here. some of the information, right? And you're only getting one theory really that's yeah. being presented. I mean, they obviously present two theories, but they really kind of push you into one direction. Mm -hmm. But that's also because the family's is basically yeah. the whole show is the family. I understand that. And that's why I said they do a great job of including families and really making sure their thoughts and feelings are heard. But yeah, it's important, I think, to know all the information before right. you make a decision on but, what you but think. But if they're trying, like what you're saying is if they're trying to almost create these like little mini documentaries right. on these cases and different stories, it, it's it seems like you're doing the viewer a disservice by only giving them half the information yeah. and, then and really it's go, like half you've got to go dig up all the rest after right and I, and I think that's a widespread opinion that most people have with unsolved mysteries mm -hmm. is they feel like they don't get the full picture often you don't and we've covered a number of, of these cases and that's mm -hmm. always been the case with every single one of them so tiffany had a tumblr blog and i never used tumblr so i'm not familiar with old. the language yeah i'm too old for it but she posted, reblogged, and answered questions about some of the typical teenage stuff that she was dealing with, like sex, feelings, interests, stuff like that. There had also been multiple reblogs over the past year or so that indicated that Tiffany was feeling down. But these posts were mixed in with mostly neutral content. However, once July hit, the majority of her posts became negative. Many of them had heavily implied being tired, sad, heartbroken, and hopeless. But when an anonymous user asked directly, are you happy or do you hate your life? Tiffany responded and said, I'm pretty happy, actually. So that brings us to July 12th, 2015. And it was set to be a normal summer day for Tiffany. She started off by going to Wawa to grab a lemonade and spent the rest of the morning at her house. She and her family had plans later that day to go to her cousin Olivia's graduation party. 
It appears that Tiffany was on Tumblr a lot that day, as she would be any other day, and it looked like there was some drama between her and her ex-girlfriend. The day before, on the 11th, someone sent an anonymous ask to her ex, Rachel, saying, how was sex with your ex, homie? And she responded saying, eh. Obviously, that would have been something that would have been hurtful and embarrassing to Tiffany. Later the next day, Tiffany made a post in response, and the post was a screenshot of Rachel's answered ask post and a screenshot of text, presumably between the two of them from their relationship, where Rachel was speaking positively about their sex life. She also posted a series of photos later that day, two selfies, and then a photo of her wearing her brand new Sanook brand slip-on shoes, and the caption was, kind of feeling myself. Later that day, Tiffany and her parents attended her cousin's graduation party. Her cousin and uncle lived right down the street, so it was a quick walk for them. They all stayed there for a few hours, socializing, steaming clams, and just having a good time. Tiffany was playing volleyball and enjoying herself. Her dad said that she had been waiting for some friends to come over, so at around 9.15 p.m., Tiffany left the party by herself and walked back home. Soon after that, while Diane and Steve were still at the party, Diane got a phone call from one of Tiffany's best friends. She told Diane that she was pulling up to their house. The friend asked if Diane would come to the house. Diane asked if everything was okay and agreed to come back. So she told Steve that she had to go home and he decided to go with her. When Diane and Steve walked up to the house, they saw the friend and her mother in their car. The friend had hopped out of the car and was yelling all sorts of things about Tiffany using her credit card without her permission. She actually accused Tiffany of using it to buy over $300 worth of food and clothes. Tiffany insisted that she never use the card and she asked her best friend why she was acting like this. Diane also defended her daughter and she said that she and Steve had given her their credit card so she had no reason to steal. Her best friend and her mom left after about 10 minutes at 9.24 p.m. And after this, Tiffany and her mom went to go search her car and that's when Diane saw Tiffany slip the friend's credit card in her pocket. So at this point, she'd caught Tiffany who admitted to using the card. And Diane was obviously pretty upset. So Diane took the card from Tiffany and asked her why she used it. And she told her daughter that she knew better than to do that. And she wasn't raised that way. She also told Tiffany that she was going to go tell her dad what she'd done. Diane gave the card back to the friend's mom that night. And then later on, receipts found in Tiffany's room confirmed that she had spent at least $86 on the friend's credit card. So Diane, after she confronts her about this, she goes inside to grab Steve. But when they came outside just a minute later, Tiffany was gone. Tiffany left the property and was last picked up on a deer cam in the yard at 9.28 p.m. And she was wearing her new Sanook brand slip-ons, a blue woven anklet, denim shorts that were very light blue, a black Huff brand shirt with a multicolored chest pocket, and two bracelets, a multicolored beaded one and a rubber one. And her hair is tied up in a bun with a white headband. A minute later at 9.29 p.m., Steve and Diane were picked up on the deer cam. They were standing out on the driveway with the family dog, a golden retriever named Tucker. Steve and Diane immediately started calling and texting Tiffany. They tried looking for her around the property, but she wasn't there. They also called up Tiffany's best friend and told her that Tiffany had run off. So the friend and her mom rushed back to help look for Tiffany along with two of Tiffany's other friends. There were still a bunch of cars lined up on the street for her cousin's graduation party. So Steve walked down the street and asked if anyone had spotted his daughter, but nobody had. Diane and Steve thought that Tiffany had maybe gone back to the party, but when they went back, she wasn't there, and nobody at the party had seen her since she left the first time. 
So now everyone is immediately going into panic mode and everyone's starting to get out there to look for her and word spread fast that she'd run away. Friends started sending her a bunch of texts asking her where she was and if she was okay. And a lot of them sent messages reminding her that they loved her and begged for her to pick up the phone. Diane, Steve, and Tiffany's Uncle Mike had also tried desperately to get a hold of her. They left panicked voicemails trying to get her to come home. And these voicemails and texts from everyone sound desperate, like they're asking her not to do something rash or to harm herself. And they went into panic mode pretty quickly after she left. Could this mean that maybe there was some reason that people would believe that she could be a danger to herself? One of Tiffany's classmates said that she heard that at some point during the night of the 12th, Tiffany messaged a friend, quote, just answer yes or no, should I do it? Meanwhile, around this same time, New Jersey Transit train number 4693 was en route to Atlantic City, New Jersey from Philadelphia. The train had left Philadelphia at 9.50 p.m. with about 60 passengers and crew on board. The train was actually en route to pick up passengers from a different train. There had been a mechanical issue with the first train, so 4693 was going to pick those passengers up and take them to their final destination, which was Atlantic City. 4693 was a rescue train, essentially, and not a scheduled one. The train had just gone under a bridge located at Tilton Road in Galloway Township, headed towards the rail crossing at Genoa Avenue. At 11.07 p.m. at mile marker 45 on a very dark stretch of track, the train struck a person while it was moving at 80 miles per hour. The train impacted the person on its lower left side close to the track. And sadly, that person that they hit was Tiffany Valente. There was a senior engineer and a student engineer on board the train that hit her. And they both signed a report that night saying that Tiffany had dove in front of the train. The student engineer said that he hadn't seen Tiffany until the train was on top of her. At some point, around 11 p.m., Steve found Tiffany's phone. It was sitting in some brush near the end of the driveway. Steve thought this was weird because Tiffany always had her phone on her. In fact, he had said that she would even bring it into the shower with her. So this was very unusual. Tiffany was reported missing at 12.23 a.m. And sadly, her family hadn't known that she had already passed away at this point. At some point, Tiffany's Uncle Mike got a call that she was missing and came out to help search. He was a New Jersey state trooper on military leave at this time. Mike, Diane, and Steve all went to check Tiffany's grandmother's house because it was a half-mile walking distance, so they thought maybe she could have been there, but sadly she wasn't. So they all started to drive around the neighborhood hoping to find Tiffany. Mike said that he just had a feeling to drive down Pomona Street near the Valente house. And when he drove past the railroad crossing on Pomona, he saw a bunch of cop cars with their lights on. They were gathered on a maintenance access road alongside the train tracks. Mike pulled up and asked one of the officers if he'd seen a six-foot-tall athletic-looking girl recently. He said he hadn't, but he told Mike that someone had been hit by the train. Obviously, Mike was hoping that it wasn't Tiffany, but the policeman told him that they thought it was probably her. Mike actually had to identify her remains, which was horribly traumatic for him. I cannot imagine having to do that. No, it's, uh, there's no words even mm -hmm. to try to understand that. But he knew that his brother Steve wouldn't have been able to handle doing it himself. So at the very least, he was grateful he could spare him from that. But identifying the remains was one of the most horrific things he'd ever seen because Tiffany's injuries were incredibly severe. But now the transit cops were saying that Mike had to go with them to break the terrible news to Diane and Steve. So Mike showed up to the house in a transit police car. 
He told Tiffany's parents what had just happened, that she had sadly been hit by a train. Mike couldn't bring himself to tell Steve and Diane anything more than that, and cops from New Jersey Transit and Galloway Township both didn't step up and tell them the exact circumstances of her death. So for the next few hours, Diane and Steve thought that Tiffany had been in a car that was accidentally struck by a train. They were shocked when they found out via social media and news reports the next morning. Tiffany's death was already being called a suicide by the paper, and they claimed that she had been standing on the tracks and didn't move when the train hit her. That is so sad for them to have found out on social media and news reports. I mean, that is just horribly shocking information to have learned in that way. I don't know why the cops didn't tell them. That's so it seems very weird to me that they didn't tell her tell her parents. It's bullshit. It's lazy. This is what happened exactly. So that because they had to have known that was going to be extremely yeah horrifying news for them to hear. No, they absolutely should have given a proper death notification to the family themselves to avoid that. Mike didn't either. Like being family, you feel like that would be something you do. But I think he was like so traumatized traumatized that he couldn't even bring himself to actually and. Honestly, I don't blame him. Like, but I wouldn't want to give that news to my brother. But what's weird to me about that is that he was a trooper. Yeah. So he's probably done this before many times, or but at it's least different once or when twice. It's your family, yeah. Which and I you get, just picked but... up. I mean, he had literally found like pieces of her skull, and it was really horrific. And so I'm sure he wasn't even thinking clearly after going through all that. But I don't know. I'm not trying to make up excuses for him it would have been great if they could have found out from anyone other than social media and news reports i think the police should have done it yeah for sure they should have done it well and i think the more shocking thing is hearing that tiffany killed herself Mm -hmm. uh, versus this was a train accident type of thing that she just happened to get hit by the different narrative right brutal i can't imagine being in there but it's it's wild to me that literally the next day they're already saying this is suicide when there's been virtually no investigation Mm -hmm. at this point other than we found this girl's you know remains and the train hit somebody like how do you go directly to suicide why not maybe there was kids playing on the tracks or something and she accidentally tripped or something when the train came and and got hit versus she killed herself this way i mean that's a putting that out there's Mm-hmm. Seems to me to be a little irresponsible because agree, you're you're already giving the public and you know the media this is the story this is exactly what happened yeah. and so it's very hard to walk back from that I feel like yeah so yeah. I, I don't know typical rushed well it's like release for and it's just a lot of assumptions being made at this point I mean mm-hmm. I understand how you might co- arrive at that conclusion based on the scene and and what yeah. the police were saying but at the same time it's like sometimes I feel like authorities are way too quick to rush to judgment on on things versus taking a step back and be like there was a horrific like why not just leave it at, there was a horrific accident at the train tracks mm-hmm. this, still young, under this young girl was killed we're still investigating it to to actually figure out what right. happened here versus being like you know it's yeah. clear that the the transit police or you know whoever else was was working on this were like oh this is clearly a suicide she clearly jumped in front of the train mm-hmm. and so that's the which just shows you they basically wrapped up the investigation at night. Yep. Yep. They weren't planning to carry this out any further than this is what we think happened. And therefore, which that, is so unfortunate that's why there are still so many unanswered questions to this day. And six days after Tiffany died, when the senior engineer gave an account under oath 
he had a different story of what happened that night. He said that he actually hadn't seen Tiffany. When she was hit, he was talking to the train conductor just outside of the cab, and his back was to the windshield. While he was saying something to the engineer, he heard the student engineer sound the horn and exclaim that a girl had jumped on the tracks. Then the student applied the emergency brakes. Obviously, it was too late, and the senior engineer said that they all heard the impact. When the student engineer gave a statement under oath 10 days later, this was his story. After they had passed mile marker 44, he had seen something in the distance about a half mile to a quarter mile away. He said as an engineer, they are trained to spot movements or anything out of the ordinary. But by that point, he couldn't see what that something was. So he blew the horn to see if it moved. When he got a quarter mile away, that something was still there. He saw it was a person in darker clothing crouched about 15 feet from the tracks. At that point, the student engineer sounded the horn to alert the person that a train was coming, but the person did not get out of the way. Instead, they stood up, and at that point, the student engineer saw that the person was a woman, and he continued to blow the horn, and the woman stood to face the tracks. Then as they got closer, the woman dove onto the tracks. The student engineer shouted that a girl jumped in front of the cab. Then he saw matter go everywhere, and he applied the emergency brake. The student engineer said he didn't see anyone else in the area. He also did not see Tiffany make any attempts to move out of the way of the train. So eyewitness testimony is never really that reliable because every time you recollect a memory, especially, you know, having witnessed something absolutely traumatic and horrifying, it's going to, it's going to vary depending on, you know, when you're asking it, who's asking it. And, you know, it's just going to come back in different ways. And we see that across all sorts of, you know, from different cases to paranormal events to even just people who witness car accidents. Exactly. Everybody remembers it a little bit differently. And each time, you know, you have to re, you know, bring that memory back. It can be different. Trains have event recorders that function similarly to a black box in a plane. In 4.1 seconds, the train horn was sounded. Tiffany was hit and the emergency brakes were applied. It recorded that the train horn was sounded and the emergency brakes were applied in the seconds before Tiffany was struck. So like we've mentioned earlier in this episode, Tiffany's death was investigated by the New Jersey Transit Police. And as you can probably imagine, investigating suspicious deaths is not their specialty. And they did not investigate this case as a suspicious death whatsoever. It was done under the assumption that this was a suicide. The scene was never secured, and it was never treated like a crime scene. Two days after she died, the medical examiner performed an autopsy, and the description of the injuries to Tiffany's body is very, very gruesome. Yeah, very disturbing. Just a a warning here. As you can imagine, Tiffany's body was in pieces and not at all intact. It had actually been dragged by the train for another three quarters of a mile after she was hit. Her face was completely crushed, and her limbs had all been severed. Tiffany was not found wearing her shirt, her shoes, her shorts, or her headband. The shirt was found at the scene. However, it was placed in a plastic bag tied in a knot before it could have dried. So, due to moisture, the t-shirt rotted and molded, and it could no longer be tested. Very unfortunate. And the shorts were never found. At first, her shoes and her headband weren't recovered, but the shorts end up being a big point of contention for some people because many people believe that the shorts could have been ripped off and shredded by the train. Others believe that the shorts were torn off by the train and were not recovered because they were stuck under it somewhere. But 
The family believes that the shorts and the shirt were removed by someone else. The coroner wrote that Tiffany's extremities had been cut. The family found this wording very odd. They thought that the medical examiner should have used the phrase torn off if that's what happened. Now, getting hit by a train, as we can see in this case, unfortunately leaves a very grisly scene. Unfortunately, cut would have actually been the right word here because tearing would simply imply pulling, but at that speed, the train wheels would absolutely slice, if not even cauterize the limbs. I was going to say, if you've ever seen train wheels yeah. before, they are, yeah, razor sharp discs. Mm -hmm. So on the 17th, the medical examiner's office ruled her manner of death as suicide, with the cause of death being multiple traumatic injuries. Steve and Diane say that they reluctantly accepted the ruling at first, even though they didn't have a reason to believe that she was struggling mentally. Tiffany's remains were cremated, as that's what her parents wanted. I was just going to say, too, that I think one of the major reasons this case went straight to suicide was because of that initial investigation that they did mm -hmm. and the testimony from the engineers. That's The, the testimony that they gave definitely For sent sure. this straight to suicide because they, mm -hmm. you know, the student engineer reported that a girl dove onto the tracks. And mm -hmm. I think they heard that. And I mean, they were the only other people there. So mm -hmm. as and far they as they know. And she didn't move. Right. Yeah. Right. And, from their retelling of things, it definitely sounds that so way. So obviously the transit police are going to get there and they're going to you know, ask the only people that may have witnessed what had actually happened and that's what they're being told. I mean, I can see mm -hmm. why they would go that direction almost straight away because you've got a guy saying, with my own eyes, I saw this girl jump onto the tracks. Mm -hmm. And it has been very um, frustrating for them now that they had her cremated because they can't exhume her and do further testing to see if they can get more answers here dna testing and right and you know looking for other injuries and things like that mm -hmm. or be able to but again is that even possible at this point i mean yeah after a train hits you i don't know how much you, right. testing you can really do with remains at that point mm -hmm. so i can kind of i can totally understand why they'd want to just yeah you know try to mm -hmm. and i'm sure i mean that's not really where your mind is even going at that point in the first few days you know you're just so traumatized and trying to just figure out what step to do next and not really considering what you might need for an investigation. Yeah, so. I feel like a lot of times, you know, people want to trust the authorities that they're doing mm -hmm. the right things. They're the professionals. You know, right. it's not really in your mind that you all of a sudden have to take this into your own hands and think of other possibilities and scenarios that the investigators or police are not thinking of. And, you know, you want to trust that they're doing the yeah. best that they can. They're doing their job. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point, Janelle. That's just like an overarching theme mm -hmm. across mm -hmm. so many cases that, that we've covered and, and look into is like you start learning that you really can't trust the police as much as you think you would be able to as far as investigating your loved one's disappearance, yeah. death, whatever it may be. You almost have to do some of that for them, especially as a person that knows that individual and their parent in this case you you know you're going to know a lot more about that individual than say the authorities are going to they're just going off a of base of the evidence that they've been able to collect and you know the eyewitnesses that saw what happened which so. is so terrible because you're in the most traumatic days yeah. of your life and to, the last you know, thing you should barely... be worried about is like making sure that this person gets justice right right you're trying to just process what has happened here and and that's that's the really tough thing because it's like 
people that are in law enforcement oftentimes say, I got into this to help people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of first responders that get into it for to help people and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's also a job. It's a, um, you know, they they have their own goals and things like that that they're trying to do. And they have their own workloads. It's, it's no different than any other job um, as far as like you've got this workload, you've got a busy schedule. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when cases come along where there seems to be a clear-cut explanation for what may have happened here, oftentimes they tend to go that direction because that does mean they're going to be able to get this wrapped up and yep. closed and kind of move on from it rather than if they really all sat, you know, sat there at the site, roped it off as a crime scene and really like bring the all the resources steps. in and yeah. and really like contemplate on this for a while to really see if there's other scenarios that could have played out here before they go with the most obvious one. That's and so I think true. that's what's most frustrating to to us and to to victims of crime is like you you would hope that they would go that extra mile for for your loved one to actually double check and just make absolutely sure that they're making the right call mm -hmm. versus doing what in most cases is more convenient for them, which is the easiest for them to sort of wrap up um, from their side and then close the case and move on to the next one. Which I understand that they're busy. They've got it. They've got huge caseloads. There's th other things they got to do. But it's like we're talking about an individual's life and potentially somebody who's had foul play come upon them and person getting away with it. Right, and them wrapping up and moving on is the exact opposite from the family. They can really never wrap up and right, move on right. because they don't get the closure that they need. They don't have the answers to ever be able to fully, yeah, move on from a situation like this. It's so frustrating. I just feel so bad for her parents. Because one of the things with the whole scene after the train stopped and they were able to get get over there and actually start taking a look at you know the evidence and things like that is the New Jersey Transit Police really didn't know what they were doing with this. I mean, they they were just like, let's quickly clean this up and get out of here and move on, which is absolutely horrible because this poor girl just died there. Her belongings are there pieces of her body are there and they're just doing this quick cleanup like you know they just hit a deer or something and, and moving on so two of tiffany's uncles actually went back to the site on the 16th and they actually found some of tiffany's belongings this is absolutely horrible but her uncle also found tiffany's jawbone and it still had teeth attached to it he also found pieces of her skull with hair attached and other bone fragments so one of the things that the family's very upset about is the fact that a rape kit was never performed on Tiffany. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why, why to some extent, but to the other extent, I'm like, I, I don't know where would they, what would give them cause to do that. And for them, the reason is because she was found partially undressed. And there's actually a clip here, role play of Tiffany's family talking about the investigation a little bit. I uh, honestly, I think it's disgusting that they would even think that a child would walk around without any shorts on um, and any shoes, especially, especially the only time my daughter took her shoes off is when she would go in the house. Other than that, she always wore shoes outside. The state medical examiner's office rushed to judgment and concluded that this was suicide. A rape kit was never utilized uh, on Tiffany. But most importantly, a psychiatric or psychological autopsy wasn't done, where you interview the family, the teachers, the friends, and you see what was going on with her life. If they had done that, um, 
the, they would not have concluded this was suicide. You know, I could have done a better job than they did. And I'm, I'm not even, you know, I don't have a degree in it. I just, these are things, simple things they screwed up on. Yeah, I think it was a massive mistake that they did not do a rape kit. I think when you find a victim without their clothes, that should just be standard. I mean, well, no why, why not, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why not just double check? I think, I think you got to remember, she was hit by a train. So there's, we don't know the, the full extent, but there is a possibility that but her there, body could have been. There are so many cases where victims, after they are assaulted or murdered, are set on train tracks. And if, if someone is without clothing, why would they not take that extra step and make sure that she wasn't raped? Because it was the transit police. Idiots. Well, the one thing I will say about this clip that we just played, the family attorney said if they had done a psych, you know, interviewed the family, friends and things like that, then they would have known that this was not a suicide. But based on right. the evidence that we've just gone over, I have a hard time agreeing with that statement because I feel like if they had actually interviewed, you know, obviously if they interview her parents, they're going to say, you know, everything was fine. But if you were to interview maybe teachers and students, I wonder if it would have been a and different friends, yeah. if there would have been a different story there. You know? But it shouldn't have any impact on how they investigate and what tests are done. It shouldn't matter. Right. Well, again, because you can be a depressed person and still be raped and murdered. This is why that initial investigation is so important and why mm -hmm. police should not just rush to judgment on what they think happened before actually investigating other scenarios because the reason why no rape kit was done is because basically at the scene and, and based on what the officer said through their investigation and the eyewitness testimony that this girl dove on the tracks by the time it gets to the medical examiner the medical examiner is just going off of what what they're being told right mm -hmm. and this medical examiner and i uh, um, i could be wrong but i believe in everything that i saw never actually went to the scene That's which is crazy to think about considering it would probably be extremely helpful to go to the scene and actually see it firsthand and see you know Just look where everything was standard. found and all that versus mm -hmm. they brought all of her remains to the medical examiner's office and right. they're doing that autopsy without any prior knowledge of where the body was at investigators also found an axe with red markings on its edge at or near the scene this axe was collected by a detective however the transit police somehow lost it and it was never tested, examined. I am so yeah, tired. We're of about to say the same thing. <laughs> I was it's, literally about to say, I'm so tired of hearing this excuse of we lost something. It's bullshit. I can't stand it. It happens all the time. Like, what do you mean you fucking lost it? You'd think that there would be serious protocol around collection of any evidence, and it would be, oh, well, the act, this axe wasn't removed as evidence. It was removed as part of cleanup. So they didn't even like stupid. Now, we don't know if this axe was obviously used in this case. It was just a common fire axe that could have just been on board the train. So either way, though, this should have been collected, stored properly, not fucking lost and then tested. It just seems like. I don't know if I were her family members, I'd be so pissed and God, how many cases where they lose evidence? It's mind-blowing to me. I feel the average person just does not even understand how often this happens, where evidence is lost, potentially huge evidence. I mean, it could just be a common fire axe, but it could have been a weapon used against her. Yeah, I was just going to say something just to clarify this a little bit. So this is, 
I think what we're trying to say is the axe could have been on board the train. You know, they have tools, they have, you know, things for, you know, different maintenance things they got to do. And an axe might be one of them. I don't know for, I've never worked on a train. So I don't know for sure if they have an axe on board and then like maybe on a, you know, if you had a wood, I don't know what you would really need an axe for on these modern trains. But the one thing is like, we're saying fire axe or fireman's axe. And those are typically wood handle red blade and this is a fisker's axe and the first thing i think of is because i actually own some uh fisker's tools is that this is sort of a common axe that you could buy at like home depot i feel like or an ace hardware so to me i'm like if this was really like a axe that was on a train or you know is more of a corporate safety item you know an axe to like bust down doors on the train or something like that may it look a little different than this axe i don't know but i just wanted to throw that out there because i i do think it's a little little strange and i mean they didn't you know nobody knows where it is so there's nothing else we can do with it which is disappointing but maybe there's more into the axe uh, than we know but it's gone now and also just a side note unsolved mysteries left out the axe completely which feels like a huge piece to me and and that's the hard part with this is I think there might be more information surrounding the axe that we just don't know. And perhaps somebody who was cleaning up the scene brought it with them and just happened to leave it behind as a possibility. Yeah. Like people to this kind of scene probably brought, brought tools and everything else to get under the train and like, you know, dislodge things and things like that. And I mean, I, I guess that's what you kind of make of this axe with the, the clear, clearly coagulated blood on it is that they were maybe trying to you know, get some maybe, of the remains that's, off of that's it. That's the keyword here is maybe, and you don't know unless you test it, and you can't test it if it's fucking lost. Yeah. And that's it, and how if, you rule it out. Well, and it's like, there should be more of like, like, I feel like if we're going to video record police in every encounter and traffic stops and things like that, mm -hmm. shouldn't cleanups be videotaped? I so. Like, I think everything everybody involved with the, like a crime scene cleanup be like recording what they're doing yeah. so that if something were to happen at the scene or somebody brought something or yeah, not for the something. public, obviously, yeah, but at but least just, documented yeah, right. or document so-and-so, you know, in the rep cleanup Who report, picked it up? Where so -and -so was it put? brought the ax. They were using it to scrape the bottom of like, the train. We and see in cases all the time where, Oh yeah, someone at the police station put it in a drawer and then whoops, it's lost forever. And we don't even know who the person is or like how it was stored. It's just insane to me. It gets even worse though. A knife was found near the tracks where Tiffany died. It's unclear whether it played a role in her death, and we also don't know who found it or when or if it was tested or whose custody it's in. So again, this is another situation where we have potential evidence mm -hmm. from a knife even more that so could suggest that. foul play occurred at this scene that was just left behind, yep. and we have no idea either way if this was just somebody's tool that they left behind and that's all it is, or if there's actually something more Careless. to this. Ugh. So with these two things, I 100% understand why the family would be absolutely pissed at the investigation, but also questioning mm -hmm. the official narrative because yeah. you've got these elements that are coming into play that line up with foul play. I think they would be crazy to not question yeah. the narrative in the investigation. I mean, how could you not? think anyone who lost their loved one in this situation would yeah if there's a bloody axe yeah. at the scene nobody can really account for it like i'd be wondering about it too also a towel was found near the railroad tracks where tiffany died the family sent this towel in for independent testing 
The testing confirmed the presence of human blood from an unknown male, but the DNA was unable to be tested properly because this sample was contaminated. And that's all the information that we could find on this towel. And this is another, uh, just another item that is, could it have been one of the first responders that had gotten the towel out to potentially try to like, mm-hmm. you know, cauterize a wound or something, um, tourniquet, yeah, that type of thing that was going on? Or is this evidence of a crime scene that's been left behind from the perpetrator? We don't know. Two weeks after her death, toxicology reports came back and showed Tiffany had no drugs or alcohol in her system the day she died. An AC County Sheriff bloodhound was arranged to track Tiffany's scent on July 16th, four days after Tiffany died. The trainer told everyone that he didn't want to know any details about the case, just follow the dog wherever he wanted to go. So he knew no details about Tiffany's case, including anything about the shoes, where she died, how she died, and the canine followed the scent for about an hour and 10 minutes on a 3.2-mile walk from the Valente's driveway. The route ended by the railroad tracks in the general area where Tiffany died. The dog did not track the scent to where Diane found Tiffany's shoes. Let's take a a look at the map here. We can bring that up. You can see... It's just an aerial view of the Mm -hmm. um, general area where she walked from the house to... Very long distance. But that's, I mean, and that's based on the bloodhound mm-hmm. tracking. Right. Is it possible she went a different way? Of course it's possible. It but is, but... Dogs are normally pretty, pretty uh, straight on. But could she have been in these other areas at other mm-hmm. parts of the day? You know what I mean? It doesn't, the dog's not able to pinpoint at what time that scent was there. Now, the family lawyer said that the scent trail was unreliable because it had rain, but as we've mentioned on the show before, it's actually easier for dogs to pick up a scent after rain or snow because the scent uh, multiplies. Yeah, the water molecules mm-hmm. like amplify the, mm-hmm. the smell. The family doesn't think it's possible that Tiffany walked for two miles down sharp course track ballast barefoot. They believe it would be far too uncomfortable. Plus, they said that the photos of her feet show that they were clean, which will let you look at the photos yourself and and decide. But there is a photo of only one of the feet because the other was completely mangled by the train. Which, if you're looking at the photo of of her foot, um, you can it's definitely dirty. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily clean, but I, but I understand what they're trying to say is that it's so rocky that there's no like there would have been cuts or some you know there would have been more damage to the foot than just what looks like dirt. Mm-hmm. So also it's worth mentioning that this image of her foot is in black and white. And mm-hmm. if we were able to see this in color, I think we'd be able to actually make out more of what's actually on her foot. Because if you look really closely at her foot, it does kind of look like she might have a, a cut there on her heel potentially and maybe in some other places as well. But um, the only photo we have is the black and white. So mm-hmm. it's hard to tell. And it's hard to tell because she has just been hit by a train. Right. And dragged three quarters of a mile. Yeah. So family also thinks that Tiffany would never have walked four miles, let alone one, in the dark. She especially wouldn't have walked two miles in near-pitch darkness barefoot along track ballast. This would be impractical for obvious reasons alone. But they say it's even more impossible for Tiffany because she had severe nyctophobia, or fear of the dark. So they think she wouldn't have gone past the driveway at night. So could she have taken a shortcut through the golf course? If you're just looking at the aerial map, there's a golf course that's basically right in the middle of the Valente's house and the railroad tracks and specifically the impact site. 
This would obviously make a lot more sense given where her shoes were found and the distance, which are only about one and a half miles from the house. And the majority of this path would have been well lit with smooth grass. In the weeks after Tiffany's death, her mother was obviously very distraught. She started to take long walks to clear her head. And on August 3rd, 2015, at around 3.19 p.m., while she was walking, Diane spotted something odd about 15 feet off the side of Old Tilton Road. And when she took a closer look, what she saw absolutely shocked her. Off in the bush area on the side of the road, Tiffany's shoes were sitting on the ground, and her headband was also right near it. Near her shoes, they found a sweatshirt that they didn't recognize as Tiffany's. Nobody had seen her wear it that night, and they also found a small red iron-on letter A and a plastic tag for a set of car keys near the shoes. And it's unclear how these items are related to her death. The key ring tag is now lost, of course. Diane said that she found the shoes sitting in a way that seemed placed, and I definitely agree with her. They don't look like they were kicked off. They're like sitting how you would take your shoes off and set them down. They also weren't dirty, which didn't make much sense considering all the rain that had fallen. She believes that someone may have planted the items there. That or the spot was possibly a place that Tiffany was abducted at. She theorized that Tiffany was holding on to one of the nearby trees when she was literally yanked out of her shoes. Here's Diane talking more about finding the shoes. And I lost it. I was freaking out. I mean, I was a mess. A lady pulled over to see if I was okay. And I, you know, I'm like, get off the grass. And I was trying to call my husband, my family. They came, they called the cops. This made it even more real that she didn't do this. And we needed somebody to look into it and, and try to find out what exactly happened to her. And I don't feel they did that. It's so traumatic and upsetting when a family member is the one to find something important in a case. And yeah, we see that as well all the time. I just can't imagine being in that position. It's terrible. Again, just comes back to hastily cleaning up Mm -hmm. that scene. Yeah, the transit police investigation cleanup efforts were definitely unacceptable. And the family believes that because of this, they need new eyes on the case. They said that Just listing Tiffany's death as a suicide was a rush to judgment, and I definitely agree with them. Yeah, I mean, why not leave it undetermined so that other theories can be investigated? When you go and say, this is definitively suicide, that's it. It's very, very difficult to reverse a case once it's been ruled a suicide, as we know from firsthand experience with with another case that we've done. And that's the hardest part of this is like they're, they're just wanting more investigation to be done into the suspicious circumstances of her death, the evidence and things like that. And they really can't get the police to do anything because it's been ruled a suicide. And, and even then I'm like, is there enough evidence for them to definitively rule it a suicide based on everything we know? And you can poke holes in the, in the, the testimony of the engineers, you know, they said one thing then said another. So I totally understand. It's to, to me and to, to them, it's, very much still an open open case like that mm-hmm. still needs to be looked at and after diane found the shoes she formed her own theory she thinks that someone lured tiffany to the end of their driveway and then picked her up in the car someone that she trusted obviously right and then at some point tiffany was able to escape where she was then chased down to the train tracks where she was subsequently hit Diane said that the final shot of Tiffany walking down the driveway could show a headlight in the right background of the photo. However, this is just speculation. 
A lead did pop up after Tiffany's passing around November 2016. A manager at the Wawa contacted police and told them he possibly had information about Tiffany's death. He said three teenage boys who worked at the Wawa told him, quote, things they heard in reference to the Valente incident. They said that Tiffany's best friend had been so mad about the stolen credit card that she contacted someone to come pick Tiffany up. Two females and a male came in a truck to pick her up. They kidnapped Tiffany at gunpoint, humiliated her, and forced her to take off her clothes. Then they drove her to the train tracks, and that ultimately led her to her death. However, the story is full of issues. Again, these are all basically rumors, things that this manager heard from three teenage boys who heard these things from some other sources. This is something that the Unsolved Mysteries episode mentioned, but very briefly, and they didn't really give a lot of the detail of what exactly the manager heard, just that he heard something. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty out there, you know, accusation. Well, I mean, at this point, it's like, it's the only developments that are really happening yeah with the case so that they've got to at least look at it. But when it's just rumors, it's very difficult to pinpoint anything. So the manager had claimed that Tiffany and her best friend had argued in front of a crowd at the graduation party, but this wasn't true. There had been no arguments at the party, just Tiffany's house. The manager also claimed that the best friend never reached out to Tiffany's family after she died, but that's not true either. She wrote a speech for the funeral and also gave Steve and Diane mementos of Tiffany. And Diane had actually wanted to hang these mementos on her wall, but two weeks after she died, the family blocked the friend's number. When the friend's mom had went to the house to see what was going on, they kicked her off the property. The friend said she never got an explanation as to why they cut off contact with her. The three teenage boys from Wawa were also questioned separately. They were really confused by the whole story, and they had no idea what the manager was even talking about. Plus, these boys also had solid alibis. Because, like, when I heard the three boys, my my first thought was like, is it possible that three teenage boys wanted to humiliate this girl, you know, because she's gay, and you know, maybe they decided to bully her, and things went wrong, and therefore, you know, something horrific happened as a result. But you know, obviously, they had solid alibis, so there's nothing to point that these boys had any involvement whatsoever with her death. But that was just kind of like I just initial thought that kind of popped into my head. The Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office found the manager to be credible, but they didn't have enough evidence to bring the case to a grand jury. Which this is kind of confusing because I believe that the manager is credible in the sense that he is accurately reporting what he heard, but that doesn't mean the story he's repeating third hand is credible. So even though he may have heard this, doesn't mean that the story that he actually heard was had any sort of factual basis to it. It's been theorized that Tiffany could have been shot or even dismembered and her remains were left on the tracks. And the family lawyer has floated the idea that Tiffany was accidentally killed in a beatdown gone bad, kind of like what I just said, and then placed on the tracks. The family also filed lawsuits against unnamed defendants. These defendants are listed anonymously as Steve Doe's 1 through 5 and Shirley Doe's 1 through 5. The lawsuit alleges that these people are engaged in kidnapping, assault, and battery, manslaughter, murder, conspiracy, and destruction of evidence. If her manner of death has changed from suicide to undetermined, Again, the investigation can be reopened. The authorities agreed to take a look at the case again and evaluate the initial medical examiner's findings in 2017, which I think would be a very good idea. But the New Jersey State Medical Examiner's Office reviewed the case in 2018 and upheld the manner of death as suicide. And we have mentioned this many times already, but the Unsolved Mysteries episode left a lot out. Plus, 
no friends agreed to be interviewed for the episode. And a lot of people have pointed to this as suspicious. Um, but it's kind of hard to say. There's a lot There's, of reasons for why yes. you wouldn't want to be on a nationally televised show. Yeah. Because... People know, especially with Unsolved Mysteries, you can go to Reddit and there's thread after thread after thread of like people creating theories. And so there's always a possibility that, you know, when you're interviewing for one of these shows, it can be nerve wracking and be emotional. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might say things that maybe they then take and twist to a certain narrative. And Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of reasons for why somebody wouldn't want to appear on a, a major show like that. Yeah. I mean, they were also dealing with rumors and threats in the community and could be concerned for their safety, right. might be traumatic. I mean, even her half-sisters declined to be in the episode, and they were actually really opposed to it. I'm not sure exactly why, but yeah, I mean, it could just be traumatic to relive and talk about it again. So I don't think you can put any blame on people for choosing not to be part of media. No, I mean, it's hard because in some cases, yeah, you, it's questionable. But right. yeah, I think here... There, it really there's plenty of on. reasons why they could have declined to yeah. do this. And their family has started a petition to reopen the investigation into Tiffany's death. They want her death reinvestigated so anyone who is responsible for her death can be charged. Yeah, it's a change.org petition. We'll link it in the description if you want to sign yeah. it. Um, and I think it's close to 15,000 signatures think right now. even if you personally lean towards this being a suicide I don't see why you wouldn't sign that and support their request to have this reinvestigated because clearly this was a terrible investigation all around. And why not do the those extra steps and try to come to a more clear conclusion for everyone involved? Right, right. Well, and I mean, ultimately, it's it's what the family wants. And yeah, as a human being, don't you want others that are dealing with this pain and grief to, you know, get that sort of you know, not saying that there ever is this closure that kind of wraps it up, but it's like there are questions that that burning questions in their minds that they want answered that can potentially help them. Right. Start that, you know, at least, you know, begin to grieve her loss in in a different way or, um, you know, a way that allows them to hopefully go on with life without her in a sense. So but what's such a shame is even if this case is reinvestigated, there are so many things here that were just done incorrectly from the start evidence that is missing you know they can't exhume her body so there's a lot of elements to this that we just won't ever have answers to well that and that's the difficult part too is even if an investigation is reopened what do they have to go off of at this point i mean there's no remains to to look at most of the evidence that may be pointed to foul play or something like that is gone and they've talked to some of the individuals who they believe may have been involved if something was, you know, if it was actually foul play. So it's like, I just don't, unless there's like a whole new theory that comes up, a whole new suspect that comes up. Yeah. I just don't know where the investigation would even go. And yeah, it was just kind of botched from the start. Yeah. And that's the, that's the horribly difficult part is like so much of that critical preservation has to be done at the time of the incident and if they don't do that you can't like remake that you can't go back and like reconstruct that and look at it the exact same way as when it happened to really fully investigate it so you're just basically reinvestigating it based on all the things that we have right now which is very very difficult to then go and overturn 
you know, exactly change the investigation from suicide to homicide. Yeah, but I feel like all available. But why? Why not? I mean, it's like exactly. uh, if if I were in their shoes, I would want the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'd want to know with a hundred percent certainty that they can come to my face and tell me your loved one was was not. But murdered. how can they ever do that? Right. It's just it's such I, it's a I tough know. situation. It's but difficult. here's a here's a clip of Diane explaining her thoughts and and why they want this reinvestigated. Any information that'll lead us to her knowing who murdered her because we know she was murdered. There's no doubt in our mind. Even more so in the five years, we even know even more with what evidence we've had that somebody did something to her. I still lay in bed at night waiting for her to get off work from Wawa, you know, just, well, she should be pulling in any time. It, you know, goes through my head, you know, but she never shows up, so it makes it hard. I just can't imagine that pain. Yeah, and I did want to note one thing, though, too, is like, obviously, whenever we do these episodes, these cases, we are only able to gather what we can find out there, and there's always the potential that the family or maybe they're working with private investigators that potentially they have new evidence Mm -hmm. that it sounds that way isn't released because yeah i was just listening to her and she's saying that we know she was murdered i mean that's a very strong statement to to make so is it possible that they do have evidence that they're looking into or they you know that is promising that can lead them into this this new direction and we just don't know so i just wanted to put that out there i mean especially with everything they've been through they probably are gonna want to keep that close yeah you know, I, I don't blame them at all. Yeah. So Steve had always promised Tiffany that he would build her a volleyball court in the backyard. And after she passed, he kept that promise and built a regulation size beach volleyball court in their backyard in her honor. He also made a sculpture out of two tree trunks with the inscription, Tiffany, we love you so very much. The family also has a memorial garden on the property for Tiffany under a dogwood tree planted for her, there is a plaque in her memory. In the years after her death, the Valente family has constructed a memorial on a concrete patch by the train tracks where Tiffany died. It is a small black hut decorated with pictures of Tiffany and other mementos. And visitors can actually sit on a bench in the hut to remember Tiffany and reflect on her life. Steve also installed a radio powered by a portable generator that plays music continuously. I thought that was really beautiful. To this day, Tiffany's room is just how she left it. Nobody will go into her room. Even the whiteboard on her door still has all the same messages and drawings that Tiffany wrote on it. Her family strongly believes that Tiffany was murdered. They have vowed to not rest until her killers are brought to justice, and it's clear that they miss her terribly every day. That's just living torture i really can't even imagine how you would go on with your life how could you i think it's just the possibilities i mean that run through your head it's just torturous it's hard to accept something without definitive evidence of it right how could you here's um a clip of them kind of discussing their some of their final thoughts here me for two weeks straight make me believe my daughter did this that she committed suicide that she actually did this 
I'm like, no, it's not my daughter. It's not my daughter. Every single day, day in and day out. There will never be a, a, a amount of justice. The only way is to bring her back, but we know that's not going to happen. Um, but to just have the true answers on what happened that night. Near the site of the death, adjacent to the train tracks, Tiffany's father constructed yet another memorial. This one with lights, music, a roof, and filled with messages and reminders of a loved one lost. Her spirit's here. It's still here until, the, until she rests in peace and, and find, somebody finds out what happened to her. She can't rest. But we need answers. So let's just kind of go over the possibilities here and our final thoughts. So obviously, I think we should start with what the family thinks. And we've been touching on this throughout and this idea that Tiffany was murdered. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot to go off of with that because we don't have a lot of evidence to back that theory up as of right now and what we were able to find. But is it possible that somebody lured her out to the car? It was somebody she knew. And, you know, from there, something went terribly wrong or they decided that they were going to murder her. And again, you got to think about motive and things like that. And I don't really know how many things that we know about that would make for a motive for murder other than unless it was just a crime of opportunity. Right. She right. Just happened to be in the wrong place, at the wrong time, which that's always people. a possibility, too. Yeah. You know, and, you know. I'm more speaking about the credit card being stolen and, mm -hmm. and things like that. To me, none of that seems like a motive to do a horrific murder no, like this. And I don't think so either. And those people were all extremely young teenagers and not saying that teenagers aren't capable of, of committing heinous acts, but based on what we know, nothing points to that happening. I think what you just said, a crime of opportunity makes a lot more sense. She was out at night walking by herself, presumably. There's a lot of people, I mean, transient people mm -hmm. hang around at the train tracks, things like that. I mean, people actually hitch rides on those trains and, and things like that. You just never know who could be hanging out in this area. I mean, it's kind of a wooded area. It's kind of out away from everybody. Mm -hmm. It's possible that somebody could have been out there just stalking the woods and happened upon her and ended up killing her or sexually assaulting her or something like that. And then they you know, threw her on the tracks and then took off. That's yeah. that's a possibility. But again, based on what we know and the investigation, the evidence, there's nothing that suggests that. And the police clearly didn't think that either. I think with the lack of information here, it is hard for me to come to my own theory of, you know, which way I really lean. I think there's kind of, in my mind, there's equal possibility that this was a suicide and that this was a murder. And there's just not enough to say for sure either way. Like, obviously, there are some concerning things with the way that she was communicating with people and, you know, the counseling and things that she Cutting posted on Tumblr. Like yeah. Yes, there, there are many things here. And even though the family has said she was a happy person, she would never do that. And she herself did say, I'm happy right now. Or I guess she said, I'm kind of content. You never really know. Obviously, people who are depressed can seem happy or say that they're happy, and you don't really know what's going on below the surface. So, well, you suicide, remember being a teenager too, and being a teenager is totally different because your emotions are right. a roller coaster. Right, you can you make know. a more spontaneous choice. A breakup is like a life-ending event. 
yeah anyways Definitely. and friend drama too friend drama. especially yeah. like if you're in school and you're being bullied it's it impacts you so much right you know well or, we know this about teen suicide it's right. like oftentimes it is little things like this that do push people over the edge if she was already struggling with suicidal thoughts and then this credit card thing happens right. and she thinks she's going to get in trouble and her dad's coming outside and maybe she her volleyball scholarship gets taken away exactly. or her friends all leave her and she's kind of left alone and so loses everything so of to course speak. it's a possibility but there are also so many weird elements that I mean, especially her shorts and sh and shirt being missing and her shoes being found. That, to me, the shoes really get me because it's so far from the impact site that it seems, I mean, her feet, to me, don't look like she walked that far. And why would she take her shoes off to then continue walking? So that, to me, is where I'm like, yeah, suicide could make sense, but I can definitely see that this could have been a murder. Absolutely, absolutely. But hearing that there she's are, afraid of the dark, yeah, someone could have picked her up. I think that is a definite possibility as well. Right. It's just it's really hard to say, and that's why I'm just not comfortable really going either way with this and saying that I I feel that it's this scenario because I I think the overall point here is that the investigation was so terrible that you almost can't even make a judgment on this. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the only thing you really do is look at commonalities between this case and other cases and i think some of what we found uh, as far as commonalities go is that oftentimes when somebody does go and take their own life sometimes they do place their shoes they take their shoes off they take their shirt off sometimes they take their clothing off and place it in a pile to leave it for their loved ones um, that is something that has happened in the past does that apply to this i don't know right it's just a, just a thought it's possible the other thing that i'm thinking but why so far that's where I'm just I'm struggling. I well, I don't know, and that's the thing is we don't know we don't know exactly what path she went to because we don't have her cell phone. We don't we can't yeah. track pings or anything. She left all of that there, and it doesn't say for sure that she wouldn't have just taken them off and and walked. Maybe she was trying to like get grounded, or I don't even. I mean, there's so many. It's it's difficult because it's based on the presumed route that she went. Mm -hmm. It's a four mile route, and it's it's extreme. That's pretty far. Yeah. to walk in the amount of time. From when she left the house to the time that the train impacted, that'd be you'd have to be like, you know, running almost to, mm -hmm. to get there in that amount of time, if if that was even possible. So I think the route based on the tracking dog and things like that, they're thinking and where the shoes are found is that if she went that way, it seems extremely hard for her to have done that on foot. So potentially she was taken there. You know, she was taken on the side of the road or something as she was walking that way, and then they drove her there. But there's also the possibility that she cut through the golf course and took her shoes off and then made her way through the golf course because the golf course grass is a lot nicer to walk on. And it's a more direct path to uh, the impact site. It's just, it's just one thought. But again, suicide by trains is very uncommon. Mm -hmm. But given the conditions, it, it makes a little bit more sense because at the time, there is no immediate access to more conventional suicide methods. So there wasn't access to, as far as we know, right? We don't know for sure, but mm -hmm. um, from what we do know, there there wasn't anything else. And this was kind of this may have been a spur of the moment type of thing. And you know, there's some, especially during the the Tumblr days and things like that, 2015. This Tumblr had a lot of very dark, suicide um, centric content going on on there and so some of these suicide methods were kind of being romanticized a little bit yeah. and train suicides were one of them 
So is it possible it was an idea maybe she got from Tumblr or somewhere else and she realized that that was a yeah. a, a method that she could gain access to? I don't know. It's be. just, again, just, just thoughts here. The other thing that I go back to as well is based on the family's murder theory, the deer cam video. Mm-hmm. Her last sighting on this camera is her walking alone. Yeah, and that is true. So there, on foot. as far as we know, there was nobody around her or... You but know, is she walking? Did she to walk to vehicle? some right? Did she walk to a pickup point or did she walk to where her shoes were left? Then she was picked up at that point. We don't know. But as far as like the driveway goes mm-hmm. from when she left the house, she's yeah. last seen alone. There's what do you no think about the fact that the motion. cell phone was just left at the end of the driveway? Well, and that's that's the hard part too, is like there obviously the parents are like, why would she go anywhere without her cell phone? But mm-hmm. the only if she was really abducted, you would think that she would have taken that with her or would have had it in her pocket. It well, seems like it was... Couldn't someone have grabbed it from her maybe, and like chucked it yeah, out the window? Because yeah. that would be a smart thing to do if you were abducting someone. Yeah, but when we're thinking about the individuals that may have abducted this person, it doesn't seem likely that they would have done that. I think it's extremely weird. If this was a suicide, why would she leave that behind? Obviously, it's possible. I don't, it well, just be, probably because she knew everybody was calling her. If you're, you got to think about Maybe. the mind state that you would be in if you were about to go end your life. Do you want you don't want to be hearing all of your loved ones' voices and messages when you're going to do it? If you're determined no, that you're going to go do it, why would you want to bring that with, that reminder with you? You're going to leave all that behind so that you can just focus on what you're about to do and stay within that that headspace that she's in. So it's very difficult because things can go both ways yeah. and. I don't it think you could. can definitively rule out either necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's just such a tragedy that the transit police did not look at this more than just a, a clear cut suicide because yeah. and make that there could have so been more fast. investigation done. There could have been more forensics done. They could yeah. have done more. And that's sadly something we say way too often is that they could have done more and they just didn't. It's insane. So I totally, I totally everyone. understand. And from the family's perspective, no matter which way, you look at it it's both both horrific and you know both have different implications but ultimately i think it's just there's these questions that they need answered Mm -hmm. and they feel like they're not getting the answers that they need or Or they feel that if she was murdered that this person is still out totally living their lives totally meanwhile they're suffering every day right and we just don't know and that's the thing they could have information that we don't know about and so yeah that's quite um, possible yeah, at the very least, this definitely should be switched to undetermined until mm-hmm. they can definitively rule one way or the other. But I'm curious, Janelle, before we go, do you have, do you lean either way? No? I really don't. I wish yeah. I, there was, I feel like you guys have really covered all the bases. I'm trying to think of. From like a mental health perspective, do you think that Honestly, the signs are there for? I just don't even feel comfortable really like making that type of judgment because mm-hmm. it just seems like. There's so many unanswered questions. And yeah, it seems like she was struggling in her life. Mm-hmm. But again, does that mean that doesn't always you're mean go you go straight to that? Right. Yeah, absolutely exactly. not. Especially in this manner. I'm like, this just seems like such a one of the worst way, like mm-hmm. worst ways you could possibly take your own life is to do this. Yeah, but she could have. And it is uncommon. So that's another thing. It is uncommon. So, but she could have. 
But again, if you don't have access to other conventional methods, then maybe that's, you know, she saw it online and then she realized that that'd be something available to her. But what I'm wondering is like, how'd she know that that train was going to come through? Yeah, that's true. It's an, it's an unscheduled train. Right. So how did she know how to get to, to get to that, get to the spot in time before the train got there? Unless it, had, you know, she had just kind of like picked up on patterns or maybe she even looked it up for all we know. I don't know. But it, that's one weird thing to me is how did she, how was she able to predict that train was going to be coming through at that but time? From that same note, how would a killer know that the train was going to be coming through at that same Well, I think from either. that perspective, the killer's thing would just be leave it there and eventually, eventually a train okay. will come through. Yeah. I also think maybe, you know, like you were saying on Tumblr, people are sadly glorifying suicide, suicide yep. and harming yourself. And perhaps, you know, and just risky behavior in general. So maybe she wasn't planning to kill herself, but she was looking for some type of rush or was trying to just go on a walk by herself. And then a train approaches and in her mind, she's kind of playing these games of like, wonder how long I can stand here for type of thing. And yeah, that's possible. And it too. just kind of was a horrible just, accident yeah, type of thing. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It's a possibility for sure. That's I think the thing that's is, definitely. No one knows. And. But again, I go back to the train engineers, and I don't know if you can completely throw everything they said out out the window yeah, necessarily. It's hard to take their word with changing stories. But his first account was she dove in front of the tracks. Well, if that's what he really saw, why would he have ever changed his statement? Well, because he probably saw a horrific, tragic. I mean, just think of after dealing with that. If you literally saw somebody run over by a train i mean that that will do stuff to you for sure so it's possible it's just yeah just it's i mean we don't know video. we don't know the context and what which she was interviewed we don't know any of that we don't know what he looked like it would be great if all this was on video god this is just she could see, such but, a frustrating case i can't imagine what it's like for her family to deal with this there's so endless, many yeah endless turmoil questions. endless questions it's just terrible so we definitely want to hear from you guys uh hear your thoughts which theory that you lean more towards or if you're kind of with us that it's hard to even say because the investigation was so poor that we don't have enough information here to make yeah. our own judgments. That's the one thing I'm certain of. Yeah. Is that they could have handled this much better. Much and better. And it's very, very sad that it wasn't. And also, you know, the fact that they weren't able to figure out whose DNA that male DNA was. Yeah. You know, try to figure out if there was anything more to that. And mm -hmm. I believe the family paid for that to be DNA tested as well, yeah, they which, did. Is, which is great. So, Well, again, let us know what you guys think. And that's going to be it for us today. Um, we'll be back next week, of course. But Another until one. then, keep, keep taking on your taking mind. your mind a mile higher. You always say it. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> See you next time.